burning. When Moses stood before the burning bush, he said to God, I have never been eloquent, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. But the Lord said, Who gives speech to mortals? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with you, with your mouth, and teach you what you are to speak. May the Lord be with my mouth and teach me what I am to speak. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so today is Trinity Sunday, that time each year where we take a rookie preacher and we put him in the pulpit and watch him squirm as he tries to not commit heresy. Makes me wonder if Troy likes me. So as I was preparing my sermon this week, I thought, let me check the prayer book. There's a catechism in there. Can't go that far off, right? So I opened it up, and on page 852, in the catechism, it says, what is the Trinity? The Trinity is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks. <laughs> but there's another portion of the prayer book on page 864 that contains the creed of St. Athanasius. Athanasius was a bishop of Alexandria in the early church, and he was one of the champions of the movement to better define the church's understanding of God in the mystery of the Trinity. And so I took a look at it, and Athanasius says, the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Some of those seem randomly capitalized. He goes on, such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreate, the Son uncreate, and the Holy Ghost uncreate. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. I'm starting to think, Athanasius, you're incomprehensible. And so I turn to the Nicene Creed that we say every Sunday, and it helps a little. Rather than try to spell out in technical terms as Athanasius does, it instead tells the truths known by the church in more mythic language. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. It goes on to tell of Jesus Christ, who is eternally begotten of the Father, whatever that means and the Holy Spirit who proceeds from both the Father and the Son, whatever that means. But the thing is, is, people didn't convert by the thousands 
because the, the apostles had a clear, understandable formula for what the Trinity was or is. The theologian Luke Timothy Johnson says, the witness of the early Christian communities was not primarily through their preaching, but through the quality of their lives. The reality of the resurrection was convincing because people acted freely and powerfully through the Holy Spirit. The greatest miracle supporting the claims of Christians was the transformation of their lives and the creation of transforming communities. So what we as a church understand the Trinity to be comes through experiencing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's through experience that we understand the Trinity and that experience transforms us. Yet, we often forget this transformative mystery. Sometimes we fall into dualism and say to ourselves that there's a spirit and there's a flesh and everything that is spirit is good and everything that is flesh is evil and so we punish the flesh. But that would conflict with both our Old Testament lesson today where God creates the flesh and the world and calls it good. And it conflicts with the Nicene Creed that tells us that God created us in his image. Sometimes we fall into a different trap and think to focus on how miserable, how much of a miserable sinner I am. That there's no redemption. Or if there is redemption, I am so unworthy of it. Or we fool ourselves and we say, there's no sin at all. It doesn't exist. God loves me. God loves everything. How can there be sin? Sometimes instead of focusing on the transform transformative experience of the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, we get stuck in anxiety about the declining church and declining church attendance, as if the church's mission was winning adherence, where success equals growth, rather than bearing a, a faithful and prophetic voice, witnessing to the world God's claim upon it, where success really equals faithfulness. Perhaps we don't fall into these traps, but we fall into paradigms imposed by the world that we can't escape, that we live in 
for six and a half days out of the week, and then on that half day that we come to church, we find it difficult to leave them at the door. We subscribe so wholeheartedly to empiricism or rationalism that we can't accept the mysteries espoused in the Nicene Creed and the other creeds. We say, how can the Trinity be one if it's three? Or how can three be one? How can Christ have died and resurrected and ascended? How can there be a Holy Spirit if we can't catch it on an MRI? I fall into this trap perhaps the most, not necessarily rationalism rationalism and empiricism, but the dominant cultural narrative that is economics and capitalism. My day job, I work for a nonprofit developing real estate, either affordable housing or projects that go to support the services of the non-pro- that the nonprofit offers. My role on my team is underwriting and financial analysis. And so I talk all day long in terms of supply and demand, of competition, of scarcity, of interest rates. And I can see that some of the marketing majors in the congregation think that's just as incomprehensible as Athanasius's creed. But the thing is, is the world talks in that language. And so even though my motivations in doing this are driven by the gospel, I still have to talk about housing not as what Christ wants us to do, but more in terms of economic development and its consequences when workers don't have housing, when employees can't afford housing. We get caught up so much in these paradigms of the world that we can't always see the mystery that God calls us to in living out the reality of the Trinity. As our sibling Keith, a longtime member of the church, always says, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of abundance, there is always plenty. Maybe you don't fall into these traps so much. Maybe you fall into the other trap that I tend towards, which is a kind of holy despair. Looking out at the world and everything wrong and broken about it. The homeless man sleeping on the sidewalk or the children without enough to eat or wars or famines. And you think, Jesus, when are you coming back? 
to fix all this mess. After all, in the Nicene Creed, we do say that Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And we hold out hope for a future when everything broken is fixed. But the trouble is, our God lives outside of time. And those things already are fixed if we cannot see it, if we cannot explain it in human language. Justice has already been won with Christ's death and resurrection. So what would it look like if we, as a church, as a community, lived a life together as a community that reflects the mystery of this triune God? If we lived a life that professed that God made the world and everything in it and called it good and put us on earth to care for it, that God made humans, and even though we're sinners, called us good. That he sought to draw humanity to us, to himself, again and again. That there's a God who loves us so much that he became incarnate in the form of Jesus Christ. That this fully divine and fully human person of God died for us, that we might be saved, that we might more fully be in relationship with God? What would it look like if we as a community lived in a way that the world sees us as fools by their logic? To live this way is to be the churches that we see sometimes in the news who have come together to pay off millions of dollars of medical debt. The world looks at these churches and they say, how can they afford to do that? How are they going to keep the lights on? What would it look like to live with the confidence and the urgency that justice is inevitable, that we work towards justice, but to have the confidence that the end we're working towards is inevitable. Luke Timothy Johnson, again, writes, the confession of God as creator requires that we overcome the apparent reality that the world is random or meaningless. The confession of God as judge demands transcending apparent reality that evil always proves triumphant. The confession of God as Savior means getting past several such stumbling blocks, that humans are not worth such infinite concern, that God cannot enter a material world in our bodily lives, and that God would not save a broken humanity through the broken body of cru a crucified Messiah. The confession of that God is a sanctifier demands that we 
see beyond the inescapable evidence that we are still untransformed and unsanctified. If we lived out this mystery of the Trinity as the early church did, what gospel would that preach to the world? So, as we recite the Nicene Creed today and we go out into the world to love and serve the Lord, let us, as our gospel lesson puts it, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us, remembering he is with us always to the end of the age. Amen.